What up, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. And today we're going to give out our awards. We're about a quarter way through the season, so we figured we'd check in on these types of awards. Every other podcast on Earth is doing it, so we figured we should give our takes as well. We're going to start off with the MVP award. Ben, who do you have winning the MVP so far? My MVP right now, I think it's a clear front runner, Jason Tatum. The Celtics are 20 and 5 right now on pace for a historically great season. And Jason Tatum is averaging 31 points, 8.3 rebounds, and 4.2 assists with one steal and one block a game. He has been a top three two way player in basketball. I think Anthony Davis and Giannis are top two. I think he'd be third. Um, and the offense is excellent and it's leading to a tremendous amount of wins. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't think you can put someone over him right now. Uh, team success matters in these awards, and the Celtics are by far the best team in the league. And they're also doing it on crazy efficiency, great ball movement, great team defense, and Tatum's a part of all of that. He is the linchpin that keeps that team together. Yeah, Joe Mazzulla has done a great job setting up the Celtics in a way where they can just let threes fly all game and everybody can do a little bit of facilitating. But Jason Tatum's clearly the man. He's the one taking the most shots every game. It feels like, uh, this is the thing I've talked about before, Tatum duds in the past were like a three for 18 game and he'd have like 12 points. Um, and it seems like the duds he's had this season, he still ended up like 24, 25 points at the end of it because he gets to the free throw line so often. Yeah, that's something that he's really changed in his game. And me and you used to bag on him a lot about that for being so strong and being how big he is he should get to the line more and this season he's really taken that personally because you're right even when he has a stinker like five for 18 from the floor or something like usually he's taken 11 free throws to go along with that so he he's still ending up okay in the box score yeah he's taking 8.3 free throws a game that's two more than last season it's a career high something I needed to see from him at some point to for, for him to just be a really good complete scorer and it's cool that we're seeing it um after the number one spot I think it's a little murky I think there's a lot of people you could put it two or three my two is going to be Giannis Uh, perfect okay the Bucks have been amazing they're one of the best defenses in the league Giannis has the number one defensive rating in basketball and he is still a beast on the offensive end he's the best two-way player in basketball and the Bucks are winning a lot of games yeah not going to fight you at all on this one 32 points per game, 11 rebounds, five and a half assists, and his two-way impact to go along with that. The Bucks are still nasty, and they just got Chris Middleton back. I wouldn't be surprised to see this team win 60 games as well. Like, I think the Celtics are going to win 60 games, and honestly, like, would it, it wouldn't shock me if Milwaukee did the same thing. I'm with you. Honestly, they're going to be an incredible team. We've seen them be great without Chris Middleton. Uh, he fits into the system so perfectly. Um Who do you have as your number three spot? Anthony Davis. So that might be a hot take, but the way he's playing right now, I don't know if you can keep him out of this conversation. In terms of two-way impact, it's him and Giannis and nobody else. Um, What he does to protect the rim, what he does with his quick hands, what he does on offense, just slamming the boards and crunching dunks over people. And the ability to hit the mid-range jumper is falling right now. Like, me and you have talked on this podcast before. Like, when when the mid-range jumper is not falling, he's not the same guy. It's falling right now, and I don't know if anyone's been playing better. I think for the team to start 2-10 and and then win 8 of their last 10, 
it's all Anthony Davis. That's all it is. It's him just being a superhero and saying, get on my back. Like, I'm going to make us a decent team. Yeah, he's had an incredible past 10 games. Uh, the Lakers are still not a 500 team, but he's doing everything he can to get them to that level. My number three is Steph Curry. Uh, for a lot of the same reasons, no two, not the two-way impact, but just putting the team on his back and carrying them to victories. He's putting up 30 points a game, seven rebounds, seven assists, shooting 43% from the three-point line. He's having one of his best years ever. And at the start of the season, he was really the only reason they were winning any games at all. Uh, they've started to put the pieces together a little bit, but he's been lights out all season. Yeah, and I'm not going to fight you on that. I think Curry's the efficiency king. Um, when it comes to having a player that can score 30 points per game and do it more efficiently than anyone else in the league can do it, mm -hmm. that's a great argument. But Anthony Davis right now, 3.8 stocks per game to go along with 29 points, 13 rebounds, and three assists. He He's just doing something I haven't – I don't know if I've seen a player do it, like what he's doing right now, just on both ends of the ball, the scoring outburst we saw against the Wizards with 55 um, I, I just, I don't remember a time I saw another guy play this well. He's on an unbelievable tear right now. I want to see him keep it up. Uh, his averages go up game after game after these ridiculous stat lines he keeps putting up. But right now he's at 29 and 13, uh, with all the steals and blocks that you mentioned, he's been unstoppable over 10 games. Um, I think he wasn't, he was not this dude in the beginning of the season, but you know, the past 10 games are eight and two, and he's the main reason for that. Yeah. To have, have them go from, hey, this is a wash season, they might get the number one overall pick and have to give it to the Pelicans, to, hey, is this team, like, potentially a play-in team? Even that, to me, is that's solely Anthony Davis. So yeah. that turnaround, to me, is very impressive. Yeah, I totally, I totally respect that. Uh, moving on to Rookie of the Year. I think this is a pretty clear race. I think the one and two are pretty obvious here. I think we're going to have the same ones. Um, so number one, winning the rookie of the year so far this season, Paolo Bancaro. I had the same player. Yeah. Uh, I wish it could, I wish I could say Ben Matherin, Ben Matherin's played every game. And I think there, you know, you can make an argument that that's a little more valuable, but Paolo is one of the most polished rookies we've seen in a long time. He's been unbelievable. He gets to the free throw line at will, and he still doesn't have a three point shot, but it's really not slowing down his scoring at all. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to talk about. Like, he cannot hit threes at all, but I don't really care because the way I watch him, he blows by defenders and gets to the rim over and over and over again. And when he does, he gets fouled too. So it's, he's killing your defense even without being able to hit the three ball. That's a very unique player. And just the sheer size. Like, I talked about it in Summer League and when I flipped saying he was going to be the best player in the draft. Like, the sheer size this dude has... It's really crazy to watch. Like, he just bursts through people's chests. Yeah, 6'10", 6 6'11", 6 250 pounds. He is massive, and he's still, I believe, 19. Um, 19 or just turned 20. He's still so young. He's His growth is going to be really fun to watch. Um, I certainly think he's been the best rookie, but I think Ben Matherin may be closer than I initially was giving him credit for. Um, especially considering the Pacers are winning games and he's part of the yeah. reason for that. Uh, there might be an argument you can make that he deserves that spot. Yeah, I'm totally fine with either answer because Ben Matherin's the second leading scorer on a team that's been very surprising. The Indiana Pacers were thought to be a, one of the five worst teams in the league and they're the fifth seed in the East. 
And he's been a big contributor to that. Obviously, Tyrese Halliburton's been the biggest, but Matherin's a close second, scoring 18 points per game on decent efficiency for a rookie. And he gets the respect from the referees as well. Like, he actually shows up on the line. So, yeah, I either one is going to be great. And both of these players are showing us they're going to be around for a really long time. Yeah, I think they both are going to be all-stars. Um, multiple time all-stars. I want to see Ben Matherin's consistency uh, from three get a little better. I think two games ago, he was like a 43% three-point shooter, and now it's down to 37. Uh, But as a rookie, still 37.5% from three on so many attempts. He's incredible. Um, I don't know, out of the rest of the rookies, obviously we don't know what Chet's going to be until next year. I'm not sure how many of those guys I can confidently say will make all-star games. Yeah. I'm with you. And like, honestly, we can broaden the conversation of young players. Like what Paolo's done this season has vaulted him like farther past other young players that we fell in love with last year or even the year before. Yeah, he's amazing, man. I mean, he's better right now than uh, offensively getting to the basket. He might be better right now than a guy like Cade, who's inefficient as all hell. Cade's obviously, I think, has the higher ceiling as a shooter. Um, and we saw what he did at his best, but Paolo's had some 30 point games this, this season. Um, I, he is really, really good. Better than your average rookie. Yeah. He's better than your average, better than, better than your average rookie of the year winner. I'm going to say. Yes, exactly. What he's doing is very special. Yeah. And whenever you see the 20 point per game mark from a rookie, you know, that guy's a certified bucket for however long his career is. Yeah. So what are your, what are your thoughts on some of the other rookies? Um, not any guys that really would be in this conversation. Uh, Jaden Ivy has been a dude who's had an excellent rookie year. Uh, I'm trying to think of other guys that I could consider putting third Keegan Murray, maybe, but there's no names that jump out to me. I, I think the selection would be Jaden Ivy, but the reason I don't even really want to throw him in the conversation is just because there's such a gap between Matherin and Ivy from the two to three spot. Yeah. Ivy has shown some really interesting flashes, but when you watch a consistent game, it's Let's give the young guy touches. Let's let him shoot every shot. And a lot of it's ugly. Like, go watch some Jaden Ivey games. Like, some of the decision make, decision making he makes is not very, I don't know, professional. You can tell he's a rookie. I feel with these other two guys, it's like, holy shit. Like, they've been here for 10 years already. That's how it feels with these guys. With Ivy, you can tell how raw he is as a prospect. So that's why I kind of don't even want to put him in the rookie of the year conversation because the guys above him are so polished already. Yeah, Ben Matherin and Paolo are incredibly polished. Jaden Ivey is the third scorer of out of all the rookies. He's scoring 16 points a game. So you're right, he probably would be third. And I, I, it's just a testament to how good the first two are that a guy who's putting up 16 points per game as a rookie and looking as exciting as Jaden Ivey has no shot of winning rookie of the year. Yeah, our rookie of the year last year, Scotty Barnes, was 15 points per game. And the second place person, Evan Mobley, 15 points per game. Right. And that was the top two. This year, we have 20 points and 18 points per game. It's it's pretty unique to see a class that can score the ball as well. It is. I was I might have talked about you this with you before the podcast at some point. Uh, ben Matherin, I was trying to get a thought in my head of the best rookies to not win rookie of the year. Um, and there's a couple of them that come to mind. Steph Curry didn't win. He lost to Tyreek Evans. Uh, Carmelo didn't win. He lost to LeBron. Those are the two biggest I can think of, but Ben Matherin has to be in some list of one of the best rookies to not win rookie of the year. Yeah. He's playing extremely well. Like off the top of my head, I think Mobley's one of them. And I think Trey Young's another one. Yes. Right. Trey Young, Luca, 
just had a historic season. There was no way Trey Young was going to win it. But Trey Young, the second half of his rookie season, was a legitimate all-star caliber player. Um, but yeah, Matherin's on a short list of rookies that could step in, are good right away, but probably won't end up winning the award. Yeah, it, yeah. Paolo's just got to miss 30 games for that to be a close race, and that's probably unlikely. Um, So let's move on to the next one. I'll let you take it over. Defensive player of the year. Yeah, defensive player of the year. um, A little bit of homerism coming in here. Evan Mobley, I believe, is the defensive player of the year. Um, I don't think you're going to see that on anyone's ballot. I I don't think you'll see a single ballot with Evan Mobley uh, as the best defender in the league and deserving defensive player of the year. But I'm telling you, man, like I watch all of his minutes and what he has to do to keep this team afloat defensively is very unique. Um, If you go to the raw stats, there's actually a tick down, but I think he's been better on defense this year because they're asking him more of him. Um, The way he has to make up for Kevin Love's poor defense or when Jared Allen gets hurt, because it's seemingly like Jared Allen has some injury issues, I think, where we can start to talk about. Like, he's not fresh all the time. Like, he gets nicked up pretty easily. And Mobley just has to step in and just become a defensive stalwart immediately. And he can switch on to guards and he can, you know, protect the rim at an elite level. Really, the only thing he struggles with is just brute strength. And there's only a few guys in the league that have that. Like, Paolo, Joel Embiid, Zion, Jokic, right? Like, those body types where it's like, get the fuck out of my way, I'm going to the hoop. That's kind of the only thing he struggles with. Um, I, I just think he's put on a master class this year on the defensive end. He's been a phenomenal defender. Uh, I think he should be top three on everybody's list. He is really amazing. The Cavs defense uh, overall has been really, really good. And when you look at the roster, they're not a team full of high-level defenders. Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Kevin Love, Karis LeVert. These are not guys who are known to defend the ball, defend very well. Uh, so the fact that they're a number one in defensive rating with all of those guys playing so heavy minutes, it's a testament to Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. They're both top three in defensive rating overall. And I think that stat matters. I think it's, you know, over a certain sample size, it's nonsense, but over a quarter of the season, I think we start to get a look at the best defenders and Mobley's one of them. hundred percent agree with you for second place. Actually, who do you he's not my first? Yeah, no, he's not my first. My first is Brooke Lopez Uh, for a similar reason for to Evan Mobley. Brooke Lopez has been the best rim protector in basketball this season. Um, He's averaging more blocks per game than anybody else. And he's leading the league in a wide margin in contested shots. Um, Evan Mobley's number one in contested threes per game. Brooke, Brooke Lopez is first overall, I think by like four or five shots. Um, the margin's ridiculous. He's been incredible, and they've been the second best defense in basketball. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question, and it's just a philosophy question. What's more valuable, like dominant, dominant rim protection or elite rim protection and versatility out on the perimeter? It kind of mm-hmm. is just dealer's choice, whatever you want to build your team around. Um, but Brooke Lopez and the drop coverage this year has been absurd. Like you said, he's protecting the rim basically better than anyone else, and it's not really close. Like, he's putting up Rudy Gobert numbers right now in terms of just rim protection and deterrence at the rim. So I that team, the Bucs are going to have a top three defense by the end of the season, almost guaranteed, just with what, the way Brooks playing and the way Giannis is playing. Yeah, it all comes down to how your team is built. Um, Evan Mobley 
and Jared Allen, Evan Mobley's allowed to roam around the perimeter and contest guys on the perimeter. When you've got Giannis as your guy that can take care of that, and you can just stuff Brooke Lopez under the basket, it's right. impossible to get shots off. Um, they are one of the league leaders in two-pointers taken and two-point field percentage. Um, and it's because those guys are just freaks. Uh, you know, you can't do it without Giannis, so I don't know how much. It's kind of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, or there's a similar argument there. Jared Allen's missed a handful of games, and Evan Mobley stayed consistent, but they need each other. Yeah, there's a certain level of dependence for both pairings, for sure, yeah. on the defensive end. Yeah, absolutely. When you have big roaming people like Anthony Davis, Jokic, Embiid, you need Jared Allen there. It just helps Mobley. Um, Mobley held up very well against Embiid a couple games ago, but you'd prefer him just being like the unique defensive tool he is where he could switch on to Trey Young for a few possessions and shit like that. But agreed. Uh, yeah. My third place, I feel like we may have the same Anthony Davis. Yes. Um, he does not have some huge defensive par- partner that he can fall back on. He's doing it all himself. Uh, the Lakers have the 10th best defense in the NBA right now. And if you watch the way they started, that is very impressive. Anthony Davis is putting up ridiculous steal and block numbers. You said it earlier, but 3.8 stocks. Uh, and it's all by himself. He's a top 10 defense right now all by himself. Yeah, LeBron James is not a good defender. Lonnie Walker is not a good defender. Russell Westbrook is not. Austin Reeves is not. Dennis Schroeder is not. Pat Bev, questionable, right? These are all the guys getting minutes. It really is just Anthony Davis, and what he's doing is so unique. Um, I think there's a case to be made that he's the best defensive player in the game right now, but I don't think the statistics will kind of give him that crown. What he means to his team defensively, I think is more important than what Brooke Lopez does right now for the Bucks. But the stats are so overwhelming for Brooke that you have to give him the nod. Yeah, and the Lakers just started so poorly. Um, if this sort of play that we've been seeing over the past 10 games, if that was going on the entire season, I think Anthony Davis would be the clear front runner. If we were talking about just the past 10 games, Anthony Davis is the clear front runner. But over the whole season, they just haven't done it enough. Um, I do think, though, you know, by the All-Star break, those numbers are going to start favoring Anthony Davis very heavily. I just don't think the sample size is there yet. Yeah, I'm fine with that. If the if the Lakers' defense continues to improve, and Anthony Davis is obviously going to be the reason why that's happening, um, I would not be shocked if he gets consideration for that award. Yeah, no, I think it's very, very likely. Um, do you have any other players worthy of Defensive Player of the Year not? Honorable mention to Jared Allen, um, just because he is protecting the rim. At like He's kind of the same way as Brooke Lopez, where they kind of like to stuff him under the rim, grab the rebounds, and just go up there and challenge shots but honestly i think mobley all three of the guys have a much better case than him but he has to be mentioned i think that's fair yeah he's also top three in defensive rating he's been awesome uh are we moving on to six man uh yeah we can do six man all right cool uh my six man my number one i think it's pretty fun to have this guy my number one ben matherin um he's been the league he's been the odds leader for six man of the year pretty much all season He's playing under 30 minutes a game, coming off the bench for a Pacers team that is surprising people and winning games. Uh, his stats are awesome for a rookie. His stats are awesome for anybody, but you know, for a rookie yeah. coming off the bench, he is so impactful. 100%. And he's my favorite as well. Um, I think the contributing to winning matters too for him. Um, we've seen six men of the year of the past 
actually be on good teams. You don't see a six man on the year on a bum team that's like just cooking out there. That's not usually who wins it. If the Pacers stay a playoff caliber team and a rookie is contributing what he is off the bench, I think he should get the nod for the award. Yeah, the fact that they're winning is so surprising. Uh, Really not something that anybody expected, especially not me. I thought they were going to be terrible this year. Um, And Ben Matherin is so exciting. It's fun to see this Pacers team like very quickly have a future uh, because I was worried, you know, Tyrese Halberton's amazing, but I was worried about the rest of it. But they at least have a guard pairing of the future. Um, And, you know, Andrew Nemhard yesterday, 31, 8 and 13. Who knows what he could be as a second round pick? But Ben Matherin's been excellent. Uh, My number two is Malcolm Brogdon. Okay. Uh, he was a he was someone who was expected to win this award. He's putting up 14, 4, and 4 right now. He's also helping the Celtics win a ton of games. A dude who can come off the bench like that and help assist guys without turning the ball over much is so important. Yeah, I've been a Brogdon fan since we started this podcast. He's an awesome, awesome player. And the fact that the Celtics are stacked enough to the point where he has to come off the bench is hilarious to me. Um, but yeah, what he brings to that team off the bench just throwing himself towards the hoop over and over and over again and having the passing chops to kind of get his teammates involved as well. Um, His efficiency is also off the charts too. So yeah, he's a very good candidate for this award. Yeah. He's getting one offensive rebound a game, which from a guard is, you know, pretty cool. Um, And you talk about the efficiency being off the charts, his three point percentage right now on four attempts a game, it's 49%. Um, the Celtics yeah. as a team are kind of in a league of their own as, with three-point shooters. Um, he is unbelievable. It's crazy to look at, just real quick, Celtics tangent, real crazy to look at the three-point percentages and see Al, Grant, Derek White, um, Brogdon, and Hauser all between like 43 and 48%. Yeah, the team's insane. And the, and the, you got to think about, yes, their efficiency, but the rate they're shooting them too. Like yeah. when you put those two things together, it, it doesn't even make sense. Um, but I actually don't have him in second place for me. I have Malik Monk as my second place winner for sixth man of the year. Malik Monk's averaging 15 points on 49% from the floor, 37% from three, and basically 90% from the free throw to go along with four assists. Every time I watch the Kings, he comes off the bench and is an instant spark of energy. He has no timidness, timidness to his game. He goes flying towards the rim or starts chucking up threes. And it's so helpful to this team because if they're ever caught in a rut, he comes right off the bench and fixes it for them offensively. Is he locking people up? Of course not. But that's usually not who wins this award. This guy comes off the bench and re-sparks the offense. And for a team that's been struggling for, you know, basically two decades, to have a guy come off the bench and help the starting unit when it's just not their night and actually win games because of it, that just means a lot to me. 37% from three on six attempts a game is really nice. Um, He is a really, really great spark plug, and he brings a lot of energy. I've already seen a handful of Thunder dunks from him this year that just pump up the the whole crowd and the Kings team so much. They're a fun success story, so I think rewarding him is like, I think I like that. Um, I hadn't thought of Malik Monk before, but I think that's a good pick for six minutes. I have one more person to mention for this award as well. Sure. Uh, Jose Alvarado for the Mm. Pelicans. So this is a weird one because he doesn't really have the statistics that maybe Malcolm Brogdon or Malik Monk does, but he's averaging 10 points a game on very good efficiency, 47 from the floor, 40 from three and 84 from the line. 
and three assists as well. His defensive impact, his energy and attitude that he brings to that team. Like, I was watching a Pelicans game the other day. I forget who it was against. I honestly thought, like, they might hang up his jersey one day in the rafters of the Smoothie King Arena. <laughs> like, the fans love him so much in New Orleans. And he embodies the team. Like, it's not Zion. It's not, like, he is the energy to that team. He is the, like, the drive and the will behind their winning. And I, I think, like, he should be mentioned in this award. He's unbelievable, man. He just put up 38 points against the Nuggets the other day on like eight of 11 three point shooting. It was a legit 38. Uh, He's eighth on the team in minutes per game, 21.2 minutes per game. Uh, And he brings so much impact. And you're right. The team loves him. The the fans love him. The energy he brings. You'd want a dude like that on any team. Literally every team would want a guy like that, especially considering he's making one and a half million dollars a year over the next four years. How much of a robbery is that? It's ridiculous, dude. One of the best contracts in the league. Yeah, it's got to be one and a half million dollars. It's unbelievable. Eerily similar to the Lou Dort contract a few years back where like, like Lou Dort, Lou Dort was so clearly like a rotation guy. And he was getting paid the same thing, like $1.5 million. Like, Jose Alvarado's not going to get a four-year $70 million contract like Dort, but no. he's going to get a contract that's respectable if he gets, lit, like, later down the road. But, yeah. He's if he was incredible. on the market he's... next year, he'd be getting 10 to $12 million. Exactly. Like an Alex Caruso-type contract. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he has to be mentioned. I like that pick. It's ridiculous that he's eighth in minutes. Um, Jonas Valanciunas is sixth in minutes. Larry Nance Jr. is seventh. Both of those guys, I mean, Jonas starts, but Larry Nance Jr. comes off the bench and does his thing. Um, they're such a deep team, but it's clear Alvarado is the leader of like at least the bench squad. Yeah, and just the complete energy shift yes. that happens when he enters the game. And I forgot to mention one more player. I know six man of the year is not this exciting, but Westbrook needs to be mentioned. For a very similar vibe, we've spoken about it the last few podcasts, just a complete energy shift, positive playmaking this year. I'm willing to actually say that. Um, The inefficiency is still there, still some crazy mistakes, but honestly, just the way it's been working right now, he does need to be in the conversation at least. He will be in the conversation because he's a Laker, but beyond that, the stats he's putting up are respectable. Um, And you know, in a similar sense to Alvarado, he's the leader of that team. He's the one who pumps up everybody on the Lakers, uh, more so than LeBron James this season. It's been Westbrook. And, you know, beyond just counting stats, I think that impact matters. When the Lakers start winning more games, if this whole 8-2 and two thing is consistent, we're going to hear so much L.A. talk. Uh, it's going to be, you know, pretty much a guarantee that Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook are going to make their way into all the award conversations. Yeah, it's... And that's fair. The Lakers are the most popular team in the league, right? So it's they're going to get a little bit of bias there. But yeah, Westbrook needs to be at least mentioned in the conversation. Yeah, I agree. Uh, moving on to most improved player. I think there's only two people you can really have on this list. And they're that's Shea Gilgis Alexander and Laurie Markkinen. Um, those okay. are my top two. Um, I think those are the two dudes who have showed up more. I mean, who have improved in a bigger way than anybody else. You, you raised your eyebrows at me, so you may have a guy. Uh, but those are my top two, and I'm giving my number one to Shea. Yeah, that's respectable. I totally forgot Shea, which is funny because 
you know, he's been, the thing is, is I feel like he's been good for a couple years now, right? But he has clearly taken a massive leap now. He's a 31 point per game scorer. So maybe that's why I forgot him because I already viewed him as a good player. But yeah, he has to be number one on this list. Um, to The jump between, you know, scoring 25 points per night to 31 is absurd. And the efficiency has jumped as well. So not only is he taking more shots and scoring more, he's doing it more effectively. He, and he's leading a team that we both thought was going to be booty cheeks to a decent record. Uh, yeah. They are 11 and 13 right now. So that's respectable. Far higher than anybody thought they'd be, me included. Um, 31 points per game is not something that the majority of NBA players could ever do in their life, especially not shooting 51% from the field. Uh, doing it basically without the three ball, it's unbelievable what he's been able to accomplish. Um, I think he's the leader. I think Laurie Markinen you can make a pretty good argument for as well, just because he's been empowered to be the man this year. Um, he's jumped up seven points per game. He takes a lot more shots, but he just kind of looks like it. This is his role. He looks very, very comfortable. Yeah, that's not even ha- who I had in second behind Shea. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I said the second the trade happened last year, I know I've said this a few times on the podcast, put money on Tyrese Halliburton to win this award. And I think it's clear. And I think the perception of him is, yeah, he was good. But now this is like one of the best young guards in the league. And moving forward, like you have conversations about who do you take, like Shea Gilgis or Halliburton moving forward or or Darius Garland or Halliburton moving forward, right? Like he has kind of launched himself into, holy shit, like is this a guy we can build a team around? Like is he just a guy where winning's going to follow him when he's in charge? Um, You know, me and you both think he's a top five playmaker in the league at this point. Right. So that's a massive jump because he was sharing touches with De'Aaron Fox at point guard last year, like watching him play the way he has this year. That seems a little bit crazy now with how good he is with the ball in his hand. So I think he needs to be mentioned. I think that's a great addition. Honestly, I'm I'm if he just for the counting stats reason um, he last year's averages combined between both teams were 15 and eight. And this year he's at 19 and 11. But the jump from eight assists to a game to 11 assists a game, it's like the jump for Shea to 31 points a game. There's really yeah. not a lot of people in the NBA who could even average 11 assists per game if they want, if they tried. Yeah. Um, and he does it so effortlessly. Uh, I really do think he is in the top tier of playmakers. I'm not sure where you put him, honestly. It's a crazy conversation, but... Uh, I've watched some, if you've watched, I think it was the JJ Reddick podcast with him breaking down an outlet pass, a skip pass he made to the corner. Um, It's very obvious he sees the game in like a different way than everybody else. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think the conversation has shifted with Shea the same way it has with Tyrese, where it's like, we knew they were good, but now they're showing us they're like potentially great, like all-star caliber, maybe even build your team around caliber type players. Um, for Laurie Markkinen, I think you're right. Like he needs to be mentioned in this award as well, because he went from a guy on Cleveland that I got to watch every day where I would get frustrated with him. He kind of felt stuck in the middle. I wasn't super sure what the plan was with his offense or what he did defensively. Once he goes to Utah, he's given the freedom to say, hey, you can do anything you feel comfortable with. And it's basically led to an all-star borderline all NBA caliber season for him which I just never saw in his future yeah he's putting up 22 eight and a half and 2.2 assists a game with respectable steal and block numbers 
Um, he's shooting 41% from the three-point line, which is a career high, and he leads the NBA in points per touch. Um, he's also getting 2.2 offensive rebounds a game. Um, excellent year from him. It's cool to see him healthy. There were so many issues with it in Chicago and then in Cleveland where you just wanted him to be able to play the whole season. Um, I just hope it continues for him. I don't think he can win the award with how Shea and Tyrese Halliburton are playing. Um, but I just, I want his style of play to continue. I want him to stay healthy. Yeah. It, he's kind of proven the same things that Halliburton and Gilgis have that you can win games playing around Lori Markin. And, and yes, they've been on a massive losing streak um, and they've been dog shit for the last like two weeks or so, but they're still better than the Thunder, and they're playing the same way. Just, Lori, take us to the promised land. And honestly, like, he's been extremely effective at it. He's been a 50-40-80 guy this season at seven foot and, like, 250 pounds or whatever he is. So I, I've just been wildly impressed. And he's a really cool player to watch because his skill set is so versatile. Um, and I think the issue with him and his career in the past is, like, coaches have only focused on one thing he's been able to do well and made that his whole entire game. Like, okay, Laurie, go stand in the corner and hit threes. Or Jim Boylan made him a rebounder. That was Jim Boylan's expert analysis. Hey, Laurie Markkinen should be a rebounder. Mm -hmm. um, no one's ever empowered him to be great at everything that he does. And we're seeing that in Utah, and he's taken a massive leap. Yeah, I think the 2.2 offensive rebounds a game is pretty incredible. Um in Utah or in Chicago, when he was a rebounder under Jim Boyland, he didn't even approach that. He had one a game. Um, two point two is just you know for a guy who's not a center to be getting those kind of rebounding numbers, it's pretty cool. And he's not even the leading shot taker on the team. Um, Clarkson takes more shots than him. I think we could see him take more shots. Do you really think you could? What level of team could you be with Laurie Markkinen as your best guy? I think an eight seed. I think an eight seed. Like I think you could be a a end of the tier playoff team but I did not ever think I would be able to say that just put decent players around him and because he's versatile he can ball handle he can shoot he can kind of defend um I think he's a well-rounded player enough to like kind of respect him in that sense I don't mind that honestly I think that that's pretty possible um it's he is a legit seven foot I didn't, you don't really tell, I couldn't really tell that. Sometimes he seems like a little shorter than those big men, but he is a legit seven foot. It's crazy to see him stretch the floor when he's so tall. Yeah. Um. Do we have, what's next? Coach of the year. Yes, sir. This feels like an easy one. Yeah. Uh, number one seems very obvious. Joe Missoula. The Celtics are 20 and five right now. The Celtics are playing a style of offense. That's, you know, Joe Missoula inspired. He's the one who brought this onto the team. They're the best three-point shooting team in basketball in percentage and in attempts. Uh, they have the number one points per game in the NBA, number one offensive rating, and they're just stomping teams. Where For a first-year head coach to be coaching a team to this good of a record, it's unbelievable. It's it's honestly crazy. It's freaking crazy because Udoka ball last year was just, we're going to be the best defensive team that you've seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. And they were. They were crazy at defense this year complete switch up we're going to be one of the best offensive teams you've ever seen and they have been that and all the credit goes to Missoula because you know I remember in a preseason uh, press conference he was like I really like math right like I want the math to work out for our team I want us to shoot more threes 
and they're shooting a ton of threes. And we mentioned it earlier, they're hitting it at a ridiculous clip. The efficiency this team is scoring with right now is unmatched in the league. Um, and we have to give the credit to Missoula for like drawing up this offense and just honestly, like the adversity he had to go through too, right? Coach gets suspended slash fired in the offseason due to a big scandal. He steps in and it's crickets from the Celtics. There's no drama. There's no, like, it's just focus. We're winning a title. And that's harder said than done. So all the props in the world's in. Yeah, he's absolutely been locked in. There's no, not really any jokes from him. Um, he's a very serious guy, but it seems like the team really respects him and they're all behind him. The style of offense they play is incredible. And when you watched the Udoka ball Celtics last year and you saw that defense to know that like with there's a potential that that's still under there, that they're the best offensive team in basketball and there's still that defensive identity under there. Who knows what the ceiling for this team is? Um, but to the three point shooting, I just want to list off. I think I did it earlier. Five guys shooting above 43% on four three-point attempts a game. Malcolm Brogdon's at 49%. Horford, 47. Hauser, 46. Grant, 46. Derek White, 43. 43. That's crazy. They are in a league of their own as shooters. Yeah, and another credit I want to give to Missoula really quickly is just last year, even with the Celtics, the offense, it was good, but it still stalled out, Right. We would see sometimes at the end of games, less ball movement, a little more shot, Chucky, a little more, look at me, look at me. I don't sense that at all this year. The ball is fizzing around. It's giving up a good shot for a great shot. And you can tell that's their philosophy and they stick to it. Um, Like just projecting out into the postseason. I think that was one of the things that was in the Celtics way to winning the title. It was just, you know, when the offense really got tough for them, it became a little choppy, maybe a little too much dribbling here and there, a little more, hey, I want to take this shot. I don't see that being an issue for them heading into this year's postseason. I know we're only a quarter of the way through the season, but if you just look forwards, it's so clearly their identity to pass the ball and hit threes now. It, it, I don't see it happening again. Yeah, we've got Marcus Smart putting up eight assists a game right now. You see him give up good shots for great shots all the time. He'll drive into the lane and give up a layup for a wide open three constantly. Um, and I think just, you know, beyond it being smoother basketball, I think it's just it's better for your team chemistry when you know that, like, if you're open, your teammates are going to find you at all times. I think that makes you want to pass the ball more. Um, it's just it's infectious and you can see everybody's assisting there's really nobody on the team right now who's bad in the assist category right and it it also is it's team iq that's what it is like the players that should be taking the most shots are taking the most shots mm -hmm. but the ball is still fizzing around and the role guys get their touches and that's you like you said like it just helps with chemistry it helps with the mood in the locker room and obviously it helps with winning like they're crushing teams and it's not going to stop. So, yeah, it's it's a no-brainer. Give Joe Mazzullo the award. And also, I like, just like, just out of curiosity, right? After Udoka put on an absolute clinic last year, I was comfortable calling him a top five head coach. Like, is Mazzullo just as good as Udoka as a head coach? Just instead of, like, defensive genius? Like, he was just like, I see something we're not exploiting yet with our three-point shooting. And, like, let me unlock that. Like, is it? Because I, I don't know if it's the team now. I don't know if it's the core. I don't know if it's like Udoka's defensive teachings that have stayed in the team and then Missoula brought the offense. Like, 
I, I just respect Joe Missoula as a coach. Like, I just, I really respect him. I don't view this as like a sham or like a fluke. I think he knows what the fuck he's doing. I think, you know, it's totally fair to say that this is an incredibly talented team. Um, and who knows how much of it is all Joe Missoula, but he is an excellent coach. He's not, he's above average for sure. Um, I don't know where he ranks, but when you see guys like Blake Griffin and Luke Cornett and Sam Hauser being instant contributors, um, and like instantly having roles for them that helps them succeed. That's not, they're not doing it on their own. Um, Joe Mazzola does deserve a lot of credit. He's been excellent. Um, do you have any that really matter at number two or number three? I want to give honorable mentions to one. I think you'll have Bickerstaff. Um, cause he's been cause the Cavs have been good and their defense is excellent. I want to say Willie Green's my number two. Totally fine with it. Um, he is an excellent motivator. We saw that last year in the playoffs and it's clunky and weird sometimes watching this team. They brought in a franchise changer, Zion's healthy this year. And it's, you know, it changes a lot of things implementing him into your offense. Right now, they have a top 10 offense and defense, and they're the number two seed in the West. They still have a ceiling that they have not tapped into. Brandon Ingram's missed a ton of games. This is an unbelievably good team. Yeah, they're only a half game behind the Suns for the first seed in the West. And this is a team that was in the play-in last year. So, like, obviously, yes, adding Zion helps a bunch. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, Willie Green being able to manage that talent, put them in the right positions to succeed. And like I said, like, it's almost weird with them because they have too much talent. Like, you actually have to make decisions that are going to hurt some feelings with this team because of how deep they are. Um, So, yeah, Willie Green deserves a ton of credit. Yeah, I mean, you know, Dyson Daniels as a rookie is – up to 19 minutes a game, he's starting to get a lot of play. Um, and you've still got a team full of, like, legit guys who deserve minutes. Larry Nance Jr., Alvarado, Valanchunas, Najee Marshall's solid. Um, they have a – it's hard to decide who gets what minutes. Um, but it feels like with Willie Green as the coach, everybody's just fine with whatever the decision is. Yeah, because I think they just trust him like that. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a, a complete buy-in with new Orleans and Willie green. I think the players love that, that dude. And I think they should, cause I think he knows what the hell he's doing too. Um, but yeah, that team's, that team's really good. And to think like, they didn't start off super hot. They're kind of figuring it out now. And you're seeing like the ceiling is ridiculous. Like you mentioned, um, they're eight and two in their last 10. And I don't see that slowing down. I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. Yeah. And who knows the offense they're sixth right now. They could go even higher. Um, we're seeing Zion, excuse me, Zion locked in on the def- defensive end. And I really don't know what his ceiling is as a player if he's locked in on the defensive end. You want to know what it is? It's the best player in the league. That's yeah. actually that's a- actually his ceiling. Like, that's what made him such a ridiculous draft prospect is because you knew if he was healthy and he tried on defense, you have like a 20% chance on getting the best player in the league. Yeah. Um, so that's what we're seeing him slowly grow into right now. Yeah. He's a potential to be one of the greatest. He could, you know, win an MVP next season. Um, if they all, if they figure it all out and they decide like, you know, CJ McCollum is still taking 17 shots a game. Maybe we don't need that guy. Maybe we're a deep enough team that like BI and Zion can be the two with the ball kind of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown esque, where they're taking 20 shots a game and the rest of the, the rotation guys figure it out um we'll see the ceiling is nowhere near where he's at right now he's just gonna keep getting better right and kind of niche here but i do want to mention it before we go executive of the year there's Mm -hmm. really two choices 
it's Kobe Altman from the Cavs, and it's Brad Stevens from the Celtics. And I'm fine with either choice. I don't care. Brad Stevens has put together a master class of a roster. Literally from top to bottom, cannot find a hole in this roster. Peyton Pritchard could be a starting level guard on a team. Mm-hmm. He do- he. The dude barely gets minutes. Like they'll play him for 15 minutes. He could do that on another team for like 34 minutes a night. I truly believe that from top to bottom and now i'm seeing headline like the sam hauser pickup right like he drafted him a couple years ago stashed him and now he's incredible i'm seeing in the main celtics the g league team for boston that luka samanich a first round pick that the spurs cut like a year ago is fucking balling out for us and he belongs to the celtics so that's just another sam hauser in the making um so brad stevens deserves all the credit in the world that dude's a genius and Kobe Altman for fucking nutting up and trading those picks to Utah for Donovan Mitchell because Mitchell's been incredible. He's been an MVP candidate. It's clearly raised the Cavs' ceiling as a team. Um, And I think David Griffin has to be mentioned as well just because that team is very similar to the Celtics in terms of they're great from top to bottom, and he has a, a war chest of assets he can trade at any moment. Yeah, the thing that kind of makes them all very, very similar is the amount of homegrown talent. Um, Cleveland, Boston, New Orleans all have a bunch of staple guys who they have who've stayed on their team forever. Um, the Cavs brought in Mitchell and Jared Allen, and they immediately fit into the culture. Um, I think Brad Stevens should probably be the leader because you're you're right, top to bottom, there are no misses. Um, it was so frustrating watching Danny Ainge draft short score first point guards, and then they'd just be out of the league in two years. Um, there's really no mistakes being made. And I think honestly, the Celtics have a kind of theory where it's trade your first round pick for a guy that's impactful right now. And when you have so many draft duds, honestly, just do it, do it every single time. If you've got a 14th pick and you can get a Derek white or a Malcolm Brogdon, you got to do that every time. And it's been beautiful. Like, it has worked out so well. Think about the risk-reward to that, just trading a first-round pick for Derek White, who's extremely versatile defensively and is great at moving the ball and will do whatever you ask him to do. And you can say the same shit about Malcolm Brogdon. Like, they traded a protected first in Aaron Neesmith, literally a bag of beans, for a guy who should be in the running for the sixth man of the year. Like, it's just a masterclass from Brad Stevens. Yeah, it's been incredible. Getting Blake Griffin and having him be impactful, that's great. Um, yeah, you know, Luke Cornett coming up and being impactful. He's been great recently. Um, all of it, top to bottom, fantastic from Brad Stevens. Yeah, that should be the list. Those three guys. And I, I don't think there should be too much more than that, because those no. guys have been just operating at a different level for the last like two years, really, than everyone else in the league. Yeah, it's really hard to even think of anybody that competes. Um, if the Sixers are ever healthy and dominant, you know, Daryl Morey should get that credit for bringing on the team he's brought together. They're starting to put things together, but there's just too many injury concerns. And they lost to the Rockets yesterday. Yeah. Daryl Morey's an interesting guy. Um, and he has interesting philosophies about basketball, but we've seen it work at the highest level, basically getting your team to like multiple Western conference finals. That's very respectable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, th- that team doesn't look exactly how they're supposed to right now. So maybe by the end of the season, he can join that conversation. But like yeah, I said, does? like I-, I could go over all three of those guys' moves that I mentioned earlier, and they're spot on every time. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Um, I think that'll do it. I think that's all the awards. Yes, sir.
All right. Thank you guys for listening. If you want to go check out our TikTok, please go do that. Double Double Pod on TikTok. Uh, we try to make as much content as we can on that. And I don't know, Ben, do you have anything else to say before we get out of here? I got nothing. That'll do it. Thanks, everybody. Peace out. Peace.